The charge has been a constant one throughout the Trump administration. The president and his top aides have been manipulating intelligence for political purposes, playing down or concealing reports that could embarrass the White House or reveal misconduct. Such allegations were at the heart of the events that led last year to Trump's impeachment, and they have resurfaced again this week when Brian Murphy, a top Homeland Security official, stepped forward with a whistleblower complaint, alleging that he was ordered to stop producing reports on Russian interference in the U.S. election, in one case because, he claims, he was told by acting Secretary Chad Wolf it would, quote, make the president look bad. We'll talk to Murphy's lawyer, Mark Zaid, yes, the very same Mark Zaid who represented the whistleblower in the impeachment saga, and we'll discuss the continued controversy over the bombshell tapes revealed in Bob Woodward's new book on this episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. You know, in one sense, this is such a uh, classic Washington story. Mark Zaid, somebody you and I have known for years, one of the sort of lead intelligence lawyers in Washington, who got a lot of attention um, late last year when he was representing the still anonymous whistleblower uh, that led to the Trump's impeachment. And here he is again representing... Brian Murphy in these, you know, rather significant allegations about Homeland Security. But I got to say, what's really uh, striking about this one is Murphy was no low level guy. He was the acting undersecretary for intelligence at the Department of Homeland Security. And that makes this one really leap out. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this the other day. Usually these whistleblowers are these, you know, kind of anonymous bureaucrats, you know, just kind of toiling away uh, deep in the bowels of the bureaucracy. And that sometimes opens them up to charges of being, you know, maybe flaky or uh, not as credible or, you know, there's sort of sometimes, you know, whistleblowers are crusaders. And so it's really unusual for someone to be this senior who has risen through different bureaucracies, the FBI, um, now Homeland Security, and so starts with a kind of credibility that a lot of whistleblowers uh, don't actually start with. And I think that does make this different. Right. That said, he does have some baggage. He was demoted in August over reports that he had been collecting intelligence on journalists, including our friend Ben Wittes. Now, we're going to ask Zaid about that, and I think he'll have an explanation that that we should uh, at least listen to. But, you know, it's going to inevitably raise questions. Okay, uh, you're coming forward now, but the events you are describing in this whistleblower complaint took place prior to your demotion. If you felt that strongly, why didn't you come forward then? And that's inevitable in a complaint such as this. 
Right. And, you know, was he disgruntled? Is this a vendetta because he was demoted? So all of those questions will get aired. I will say that the story he tells is, you know, going to, in a lot of people's minds, confirm you know, a narrative right. uh, that, uh, that people are predisposed to believe because there have been so many um, <laughs> yeah, Because there's good reason to believe yeah, it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah, but, uh, uh, and look, you know, uh, there was always something a little bit hinky about the fact that, you know, when they did that intelligence report a month or so ago and tried to put equivalence between Russia, which has clearly been involved in, you know, direct interference, social media manipulation, hacking, all the all that sort of stuff that we saw in 2016. And China suggesting that, you know, Russia wanted to help Trump, but China wants to help Biden. You know, we haven't seen the evidence of Chinese interference in the same way. Certainly the Chinese, one would not put them past doing something. We just haven't seen any evidence of it where we've seen plenty of evidence on on the Russian side. So that did make a lot of people suspicious. Was that being done for political purposes to try to produce a false equivalence that would take away the sting of further attention on Russian manipulation? Yeah, at the the end of the day, this is only going to have real political impact if the whistleblower, if Murphy has documents, has emails, or if there are other right. individuals inside the government who c- can corroborate his allegations, we'll just have to see. One other bit I'd like to just sort of bring up here, since we were talking about, uh, you know, raising the question, why didn't Murphy come forward earlier? Everybody in Washington and you know around the country, uh, of course, has been um, discussing the uh, Bob Woodward revelations, those tapes, those damning tapes he has of uh, the president saying that he deliberately played down the threat of coronavirus because he didn't want to panic the public and people saying, why, Woodward, did you sit on this for your book? Why didn't you disclose it at the time you had these tapes? Because this was clearly newsworthy information and um, uh, should have been known to the public at the time. Perhaps it could have saved lives. I got to say, there are a lot of factors that go into something like this. You and I have both written books and, you know, obviously you want to have revelation, newsworthy revelations when they come out to get attention. But in this one, I'll say, I'll, I'll stick up for Woodward a bit here, and we hope to talk to him about this. Look at the timeline. He reports that in late January, January 31st, you know, Trump gets told coronavirus could be the biggest national security threat of your presidency. That comes from Robert O'Brien, the national security advisor. In early February... Trump is telling Woodward on tape, hey, this is really serious. This is a lot worse than the flu. It's a lot more deadly. One could argue that Woodward could have come forward then. But if he had done so, he wouldn't have had the later conversation in March in which Trump confesses that he was deliberately playing down the threat of coronavirus so that this was a reporting process. Right. No, I agree with that. I mean, you know, sometimes you have to think about the, you know, the long game here. And if you're cultivating a source and when that source is the president of the United States, you may want to 
you, ha you sometimes you have to make those kinds of compromises. I, I think there are a couple of things here. First of all, as you point out, you know, this is not the first time that someone writing a book and an investigative book has held on to, to material. We, I mean, we faced this at Newsweek because every four years we did the Newsweek campaign project where we cut deals with both campaigns and said, in fact, all the campaigns and said, we're going to have a separate team of reporters reporting under embargo. We're not going to report anything until after the election results. And we were always worried that what if we learned something that could actually alter the race itself, that we would be faced with a huge ethical dilemma. And what would we do about that? We were never confronted with that, but it was something that we were mindful of. I think with Woodward, what, what he says, I've read some of the uh, interviews that he's given, what he said was he learns, he has that conversation with Trump in February. He does not know until, I think, May that Trump learned this in a national security briefing. So when he has the conversation with, with Trump, he doesn't know if it's true. Right. Uh, you know, he's it's talking, Trump, to, he's talking, right. he's talking yeah. to, to Trump after all. Yeah. Okay, so then that raises the question, should he have published it in May when he did learn about the national security briefing? What he says is his job is to tell uh, you know, the fullest version of the truth with all the context and his and the demarcation line is the election as long as he reports it before the election. I think the reality with Woodward is that he is no longer a daily journalist. He, yeah, is he hasn't a book, been for he, quite he, some he, time. And he, has, right. he is a book writer. That is his state of mind. He has a, a some kind of hazy relationship with the Washington Post. He's not even an employee, as far as I know. Does he get paid um, like so, $25 a quarter yeah. or something? Yeah. <laughs> something yeah. something right. like that. Yeah. yeah. So, it, look, it's a legitimate debate. I think there are good arguments uh, on both sides. I think at the end of the day, what people are going to remember is what Bob Woodward reported, not what he didn't publish a few months before, right. but we'll see. Right. Well, we hope to um, have him on Skullduggery to discuss uh, all of this and all the rest that's in his book. But right now, we have Mark Zaid. So let's get to it. We now have with us Mark Zaid, lawyer for Brian Murphy, lawyer for every whistleblower who makes waves in Washington, it seems, these days. Mark, welcome back to Skullduggery. Thanks, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. So quite a story your client, Brian Murphy, has to tell. Tell us a little bit about how this came about when he filed his complaint when he retained you to represent him in this matter. Sure. And, you know, interesting to note quite a story, because if this had been 10 years ago, 15 years ago, this would be right a front page story and constant news barrage, <laughs> but it wasn't even the main story. Yeah, no, going up against Bob out. Woodward is pretty tough, so. <laughs> well, it's you're going up against Bob Woodward, but you're also going up against, you know, the kind of how inured people are to these shocking revelations that come out of this administration, frankly. Exactly, and, and that's <laughs> it's a sad story to tell, and, and I'm sure historians will tell it. So uh, we filed this complaint with the Inspector General's Office at the Department of Homeland Security on technically, I think it was the 8th. It's dated September 8th, but they would have received it the morning of September 9th. We only entered into the case, not quite frankly, not long ago, end of August. 
or so. I mean, we really put this together fairly quickly so that we could get it into the cycle of everything because these, this process takes a while and particularly because Congress is about to go out of session, of course, in anticipation of having to run for re-election for the House for every member after two years. So we put this together fairly rapidly in order to, to push this forward, but it's been in the works uh, at least you know, for a while because as is noted in the complaint, what Murphy acknowledged is that he was the author of two prior anonymous IG complaints back in 2018, 2019 or so uh, that are part of the protected disclosures that he made now because it seemed to him to be clear that senior government officials in DHS either knew or at least suspected he had been the author of the anonymous complaints. And so that triggered whistleblower protection, even if he hadn't been the actual author. And what were those, what were those complaints about? Those had to do with some of with the testimony that was being uh, put forth about the border wall and the number of terrorists coming in through the United States, as well as I think I have to go back myself, actually, and, and look, I haven't memorized everything in this complaint, because at the end of the day, it's his allegations, not mine. My objectives are twofold. One, make sure the allegations get to the appropriate oversight authorities in the legislative and executive branches, and two, protect the whistleblower from retaliation, unlawful, well, I don't know if you can have lawful retaliation, but retaliation. The merits of the case fall to Murphy, especially because you know we have conversations of Murphy and Wolf, the acting secretary pending nominee, as well as Murphy and Cuccinelli, the deputy secretary. Yeah, well, walk it, Mark, walk us through the specific allegations of abuse that Murphy is alleging. Sure. So there were seven or eight disclosures, as I recall. One had to do with whether there was perjured testimony before Congress concerning the border wall in 2018-2019. Another had to do with whether or not Cuccinelli was trying to distort intelligence that was coming in regarding Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador as to why were asylum, why were these individuals, nationals of those countries, trying to come into the United States? And Cuccinelli wanted to, according to Murphy, this is all Murphy's allegations, I, I know nothing, I'm just conveying what the client states, Cuccinelli wanted to make changes outlining all these high levels of corruption and violence and poor economic conditions, which is not what the intelligence reports were reflecting. And when he saw the intel reports, according to Murphy, he accused unknown deep state intelligence analysts, right? Where have we heard that before? Deep state intelligence analysts were compiling this information to undermine President Donald J. Trump's policy objectives with respect to asylum. And he wanted this to be changed. And, Cuc and uh, Murphy said, no. In fact, Cuccinelli wanted Murphy and uh, Murphy's boss at the time, David Glaway, who was the intelligence chief for DHS, wanted to identify the names of the individuals who compiled the reports and either fire or reassign them immediately. And both Glaway and Murphy refused to do so. That was uh, the second one. The third, uh, at least how I'm counting it, 
had to do with, again, attempted censorship of intelligence analysis pertaining to Russian efforts to influence and undermine U.S. interests. And this had to do in particular with information that the Russians were trying to undermine elections, etc., and dealing with a whole host of disclosures. And Murphy, again, was saying, look, I'm not going to change what the intel report says. They In this want- case, it was, Ch- it was the acting secretary, Correct. Chad Wolf, who ordered him to hold back that intelligence. Wanted to hold back on intel assessments on the threat of Russian interference, which, of course, was making, you know, again, raising all these questions of the Trump administration and Russia and instead report more on interference activities by China and Iran, which, as you know, has been in a, is a completely different view and relationship with which we have with those countries. Okay, two quick follow-up questions on that. One, what was Chad Wolf's stated reason for directing Murphy to do that? That's the first question, then I have a second one. So, you know, again, I know what's in the four corners of the complaint, and at least from the complaint, Wolf told Murphy that those instructions originated from the National Security Advisor, Robert O'Brien. Now, O'Brien was interviewed on Fox News the other day and was asked about this, and I thought gave striking statements because, I, at least in the, the excerpts that I heard, which perhaps were not the entire segment of the interview, but the excerpts that I heard did not have him actually denying it, but instead was more about deflection saying, well, hey, I don't know who Murphy is. I never met Murphy, which is fine because we never said Murphy met O'Brien. We said Wolf told Murphy that these instructions came from O'Brien. And O'Brien said, I've been one of the you know, most strongest strident people against Russia. Again, I don't really care about But doesn't that. your client uh, allege that Wolf said this needs to be done so we don't embarrass the president? So the yeah. president doesn't so look bad, a, I think. Is the, so the president doesn't look bad? Yeah. yeah. In a different, there's multiple disclosures and multiple interactions. In a different meeting on July 8th of 2020, Murphy says that Wolf told him that the intelligence notification should be held, in quotes, meaning that's what he said, because it, quote, made the president look bad, end quote. That is what Murphy says Wolf told him. So Murphy is a political appointee, correct? Uh, You know, that's good. He is a career federal civil servant. But he was elevated. What his appointment process was, to be perfectly honest. But he he was the acting undersecretary for intelligence, at the time, because his boss retired in May. Right. Well, that that's a political level, I guess, if he was career, you know, he was uh, elevated by political appointees. And, you know, one obvious, you know, lots of questions uh, always arise when one, when a whistleblower comes forward. Does he have emails, documents, any material that would corroborate what he is saying? Yes, with the caveat when you say has, right, they're all, they're classified. Well, many of them will be classified, so it's in the secure system. Now, he still works at DHS. So ostensibly, when we have an opportunity to meet with 
the inspector general or the Hill, we will be able to provide that classified information to both entities or at a minimum be able to identify where that information can be found. But is uh, it your understanding that the emails will corroborate the gist of what he is saying that he was directed to remove information about Russian interference and play up information about Chinese and Iranian interference? Some of it. I honest, I have to check to see to what extent there are the documents that support that. Again, you know, if you look at the complaint, the protected disclosures that are detailed, many of which are verbal. So there were sometimes multiple people in the room. So those individuals will need to be interviewed by the oversight authorities. And there are, as you see, with respect to the Homeland Threat Assessment, as to whether or not the administration and Mr. Murphy was told, you need to include downplay the information on white supremacy and upplay, I don't know if upplay is a word, but it is now, upplay uh, violent left-wing groups, Antifa and the like. There are drafts of those documents. There are emails regarding the evolution of these documents. You know, we're, we're all veterans here of Washington, D.C. We, we know that, you know, a final document in the federal government doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? You know, it's gone through multiple iterations with lots of discussion within unclassified and classified systems. So presumably, all of that is still there, would still need to be maintained by law. I have no idea if anyone destroyed it. Hopefully, nobody did. But, so, there, but there's, the nothing, there's nothing you have access to right now. Right. Nothing I have access corroborate to. his story. So yeah. when I represent whistleblowers, one, I never take possession of classified information. But even beyond that, I tend not to take possession of even unclassified information because even if it's marked FOUO, for official use only, which is not a designation by classification, an agency can make an issue of an employee providing even FOUO or SBU, sensitive but unclassified, documents to an unauthorized third party. And again, my job is to protect the whistleblower client from retaliation. And I don't want to hand an agency any opportunity as a means by which to take disciplinary action. So I tend to stay away from documents until I have a pathway to an IG or congressional oversight before we start to go down that path. Now, in addition to documents and emails and the like, there are potentially eyewitnesses like your client's former boss, David Glaw, who you mentioned before, the undersecretary for, for intelligence at DHS. He was in many of these meetings. He was interacting with all of the key people. And based on the complaint, he seemed to take your client's side in many of these instances. So will he testify, do you think? Will he support Murphy's um, contentions? I hope so. And I apologize to Glau if I'm mispronouncing his name as Glaue. I thought it was Glaue, but I, you, you, I don't know. The I have no idea. So okay. don't take it from me. I'll stay, I'll stay with Glaue because I think that's how you pronounce it. But okay. uh, however one pronounces his name, you know, this is the predicament that we always have in whistleblower cases. You certainly hope that the folks who you are identifying as supportive of what you heard and what you said or what you read, et cetera, or your interpretations are going to fall in line uh, with 
these assertions. You haven't I, talked. You haven't talked to I, him. I have not spoken to him. He is in the private private arena now. So I hope he will step up and do the right thing. And uh, really, what I hope is that he will step up and tell the truth, and whatever that truth may be, to the best of his recollection. And we'll see. You know, look I, again when when I have whistleblowers. Sometimes whistleblowers are wrong. Sometimes they misunderstand things. I'm not saying that this is the case for this whistleblower. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I just run that caveat out. Explain, explain that, because I think for a lot of people, it's a little surprising to hear, and I, and I understand that whistleblower cases may be different. It's a little surprising to hear a lawyer talk about his client in, in, in this way and say, well, this is what he's saying. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> Right. That's not usually lawyers are staunch advocates for their clients. And I know you are in certain ways. But are whistleblower cases different in, in that regard or? Look, it, it may absolutely differ by how lawyers handle the case. So this is how my firm and the colleagues who I work with handle these cases. A whistleblower by law just needs to have a good faith belief that there is a violation of law, misconduct, gross mismanagement, what, you know, you go down the definition of what a whistleblower allegation is. Oftentimes, our clients are within the intelligence community. And Mr. Murphy is a member of the intelligence community by virtue of this specific office in the DHS. That means I can't verify much of what an intelligence officer tells me, just like when we did the IC whistleblower case. Now, I was not involved with the drafting of the complaint because I wasn't in the case yet. I came in at the third week of September. My colleague, Andrew Bakai, who is on this case with me now, was the, co was the lead counsel. But even he did not write the whistleblower complaint in the impeachment proceeding last year because it was all classified. So what we do is we guide a client as to how to write the complaint. Now, because this is an unclassified complaint, we can receive at a high level, 30,000 foot view, what are the beliefs and understandings of the client? And this client is a former Marine, a former FBI special agent for almost two or, or at two decades. He is a career federal official in the intelligence community. And if he tells me his view is this is what I heard, this is how I interpret it, I tell him what all the risks are with that. And obviously that your credibility, your motivation may be at stake, especially when it is private conversations that you, the whistleblower, are having in a small num group of number of people that, you know, are you willing to accept that risk? And he was willing to stand up tall and proud and publicly and vocally say, this is my view, this is my concern, and I'm, I'm going to stand by it. Now, as more information comes to light, you know, I, I will assess those facts. But again, our job as whistleblower lawyers are to ensure the relevant oversight authorities investigated independently and protect the whistleblower from retaliation, even if the whistleblower ends up being wrong or misunderstanding things. And I have had that happen with cases before, especially in the intel community, where it's so compartmentalized that they didn't see the whole picture. Now, that's not this case because this individual, Brian Murphy, was so senior that he was the policymaker involved with the drafting of these. 
By the way, uh, I don't know Mike wants to get in here, but that is, it's pretty unusual for a whistleblower to be at, at this high level in the government, right? Have you had many whistleblower cases with someone who's at the, I mean, the, at least the acting undersecretary level? Uh, you know, there's a pause because I'm thinking back. And I mean, <laughs> I, I think I could probably say I probably have never had anyone at this level in almost, you know, 25 to 30, 20. I've been practicing law 28 years. And I'm just trying to think of someone even at this level being a whistleblower historically. You know, John Dean, you know, as White House, one of the White House counsel. I, it's not usual, it, you know. And, and that's why I hesitated, Mike, when you're mentioning about is he a political appointee? Because obviously, especially in this administration, you tend to have political appointees, you know, toting the water or whatever the phraseology is for that, you know, towing the line and, and sticking with the president's message. So he, he might have been by virtue of the fact of his boss retiring and stepping up temporarily, but he's a career federal civil servant. And you say he was an FBI special agent? Yeah, uh -huh. from uh, like 1990. He was an active duty Marine in the mid 90s and then an FBI special agent from 1998 uh, to 2000 uh, to, to 2018 other than a stint where he went back on active duty in the like 2000, mid 2000, 04, 06, something like that. It's in the complaint uh, when he went overseas to the war zone. In fact, he was with the FBI at, at the field office in New York on the 9-11. Did he work the 9-11 case? He, I presume, I can't imagine that there was anyone in the field office in New York City who didn't work, but I, I don't know what, what his role yeah. was. Look, needless to say, this complaint goes to the heart of what critics have uh, alleged for quite some time, and that is the manipulation of intelligence for political purposes by the Trump administration. But that said, we should point out that the immediate response from uh, the White House is that Mr. Murphy is a disgruntled former employee. And it is true that in August, after the events he describes in this complaint, he was demoted because of a finding that he had been collect improperly collecting intelligence about journalists, something DHS, I think everybody agrees, should not be doing, including our friend uh, Ben Wittes, one of the targets of the intelligence collection that uh, Murphy had ordered. So one can say, look, he did not come forward when these events took place in the spring and summer. Then after his demotion, he does come forward and file this complaint. That would seem to fit the category of somebody who is a disgruntled employee. Right. So let's start with first that the typical right out of the playbook of whether it's the federal government, a state government, a private company, when there's a whistleblower, the first thing that one says is try to undermine their credibility and say they're a disgruntled employee. Right. I mean, that's right. Standard. Out of the playbook. You know, it's pretty rare where you have an entity say, oh, yeah, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, he's right. He's right. We unlawfully retaliated, etc. And as a side note, right, my co-counsel, Andrew Bakai, again, you know, who was the lead counsel on the whistleblower case, when that case surfaced last year, we were in the midst of reporting and Yahoo, right, who Mike, long, long time relationship with, reported how we had the DHS, we, we were able to persuade the DHS IG office, the same one that's investigating Murphy's allegations, 
that Andrew Bukai, who was a whistleblower himself, I was his lawyer, was unlawfully retaliated against by the CIA IG, right? And I can guarantee you that the CIA IG denied that vehemently every step of the way until we had an, you know, the DHS IG say to the contrary. So this case, a few things on that. Journalists, and I represent many journalists, many of the, your friends and colleagues and entities I think you've probably even worked for, that uh, never should be under surveillance by the U.S. government, and you know, unless they're criminals, of course, uh, you know, trying to really be bad criminals or terrorists, but that doesn't happen. I know it's not you guys. So no, and people like Ben Wittes, no, should not be under investigation. And Brian Murphy agrees, absolutely, because that's not what was happening in that situation. And we uh, detail that slightly in the complaint because it's not directly related to the complaint, but we wanted to have that in there because he, he finds that very important because he wants it known that that's not what they were doing. What they were doing was monitoring how the Russians were using U.S. reporter reporting and distorting that for disinformation purposes. And I, don't, I can't go into more detail than that because I don't know enough about the details of that. But what I can tell you again by the complaint is that Murphy says, Chad Wolf told him specifically that I know that's not what you were doing. I know that's what the office was not, what the, that doesn't work, what the office was not doing. But if I remove you, it's going to make me look better. I'm going to reassign you. It's going to make me look better because I want to be the nominee. Wait, wait, wait. Chad Wolf actually said that to Brian Murphy. If I remove you, it's going better. I, I think I have that in quotes. We'll have to look it up in the complaint. It'd be great but if you I, had that in an email, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's going to be verbal. And, and look, yeah. of course, Wolf's going to deny that. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't think any reasonable person's going to believe otherwise. But, you know, at the end of the day, there may be some credibility determinations that are going to be relevant to this case. And that's fine because I'll put my client's credibility out there. And so will he. And we'll see what will happen. But what's also really important on this issue, it wasn't just that, oh, look, we filed a complaint post demotion. So ergo, he's a disgruntled employee. We acknowledge in the complaint for the first time that actually Murphy was the author of two anonymous IG complaints that were filed back in 18, 2018 and 2019 about some of these very protected disclosures that we are identifying now. And those were filed with the DHS IG, and apparently they went nowhere because Murphy never heard anything about it, and he would have. Well, wait, just can I ask just one more follow-up on that? Yeah, sure. Mark, why didn't he file his complaint back in March, I believe, when he says Wolf told him to play down the Russian interference? Well, because he, he did what most—all right, so you guys ask a legitimate question of— wow, have we ever seen a whistleblower so publicly come out who was so senior? We don't, because most of the time they try to work it through the system and persuade the other officials that, no, they're not going to do it. They're going to take a stand and not do it or try to get them to change it, change their position. If you look at the IC whistleblower case last year, not my client, but look at the others. Look at Lieutenant Colonel Alex Vindman, who was lawfully a whistleblower, but didn't go public because he went to his chain of command to Bolton. Look at Bolton. 
who actually was a lawful whistleblower by complaining to the president, didn't come forward publicly, but said, no, you shouldn't do this. You know, that's most people at that level, especially the undersecretary, they, they don't. Because again, either they're political or they, and or they're career federal civil servants and they try to work it through the system. If they, be, if they go public, what happens is what we're experiencing right now, massive attacks from, the, from their bosses and it places them at risk. What will happen at the end of the day to Brian Murphy, whether he's proven to be correct or he's proven to be mistaken? Does he have a future in DHS in the Trump administration? Let's say for the remainder of this administration or let's say Trump wins reelection, what realistically will happen by his coming forward, even if it's proven that he, he was accurate? He's probably not gonna have a role there. And that's why you don't see people come forward. I said it took place in March. I, I, I'm, I'm rereading, and I see it was in May, May that I think the directive about uh, playing down but, the Russian interference. Yes, and then Dan, you know, by all means, ask a question. But let me just say final on this: motive for whistleblowers is generally irrelevant. Credibility, for certainly, is relevant because, especially when you're talking about he said, she said, he said, he said type conversations. But motive is irrelevant because it's the substance of the allegations that need to be investigated. And motive can go to credibility, of course. But if a disgruntled employee reveals that the company president is embezzling funds, does it matter that the person had been fired if, in fact, the company president was, embe was embezzling funds? No. And more importantly, we should praise folks like Murphy, whether his allegations tend to turn out to be true or not. Again, all he needs is a good faith belief because he has been willing to step up publicly, which doesn't mean those who don't step up publicly, like the anonymous whistleblower, did anything wrong. But he was willing, because of the virtue of his, the statue of his position, uh, and there's no way to hide his, his identity, to step up and say, I think this is wrong. We should be praising that because we want more officials to do that rather than start to question, well, why didn't you do it sooner? I just want to understand, was he demoted because Chad Wolf wanted to look better after the story leaked about monitoring reporters? Or was he demoted because he was not doing what they were ordering him to do? He was balking and being recalcitrant uh, about, you know, cooking the books with the with the intel. So it is our allegation that I think it's both is going to be the answer. The public allegations of INA, which Mr. Murphy was the acting undersecretary for, the allegations that he and they, or it, were monitoring journalists gave cover to Wolf to use that as an excuse to reassign him, to demote him, when the reality is Wolf didn't think INA was doing that, Wolf didn't think Murphy did anything wrong, but Wolf is completely annoyed and upset with all the instances and examples where Murphy was declining to follow his and White House instructions to cook the books and politicize intelligence. So this gave him the opportunity to demote him. Needless to say, the House Intelligence Committee, chaired by uh, Adam Schiff, is all over this. And I gather... Murphy is going to be deposed on September 21st by the committee? So 
I received a letter from Congressman Schiff that indicated they wished to depose him, Murphy, on Monday, September 21st, and that they will issue a subpoena for his testimony. I have written to DHS Acting General Counsel and the Assistant Secretary for Legislative Affairs. I did so this morning, Thursday, the 10th, and I asked them two things. One, does the department intend to prohibit or preclude Murphy from testifying under subpoena on the 21st? And secondly, with respect to that testimony, as well as the Inspector General investigation, we, the lawyers, need to be cleared to have authorized access to classified information up to the TSSCI level, which for the folks who don't know what that is, that's the highest essentially classification level, because we are unable to represent our client's interests if we are not present while he conveys his evidence of whistleblowing activities and retaliation. And I asked that DHS respond to those two questions by Friday, September 11th. On what grounds can they say no? Well, two separate answers for those two questions that I asked. One, I would certainly hope that any administration would honor a lawfully issued subpoena uh, from Congress to a federal employee. I think Uh, we've had a track record on that that is not necessarily encouraging for your position. Right. Right. Which is why I asked DHS as to what is your intent. Again, what is my objective as the lawyer? To protect the client from retaliation. So I want to know what is DHS's position. If DHS says, no, we absolutely honor the subpoena, he is authorized to testify, then there's no issue with any retaliation on that point. But if DHS says, no, we are, we are ordering him not to comply with the subpoena, then Mr. Murphy has a choice to make as to what he wants to do. And I'm not gonna, I don't know what we'll do because quite honestly, we're not in that position yet because we don't know what DHS is going to say. And again, then the answer to the second question is, executive branch agencies routinely make my life difficult with giving me access to classified information when I represent whistleblowers. That's not, (laughs) that is by no means isolated to this administration. That has been every administration since I've been practicing law. Or isolated to you. (laughs) Well, it's not even, I I used to think that. It's it's isolated to any private attorney, other than if you're David Kendall, Secretary Clinton's uh, former lawyer, who was able to have a safe and store classified information in his office during the whole email fiasco. I have never been allowed to have a safe in my office and store classified information, notwithstanding the fact I have asked many times for such an opportunity. Hey, Mark, you know how um, toxic a political climate it is out there. Um, has your client received any you know, threatening emails or you know, been attacked on social media? What, what's, uh, what's the reaction been? I am not aware of the client receiving anything, and I have not uh, checked social media yet. I try not to check social media. (laughs) Uh, But unfortunately, because of the nature of this vitriolic atmosphere, I need to check social media to see if there's any threats out there that look credible. I have received the usual hate emails, very few so far 
in this case, certainly less than I did when I was representing the IC whistleblower, uh, and very consistent with the hate emails we have received for years, depending on what ideological bent the case was against or perceived to be against. Bottom line, Mark, what do you think the likelihood is we will hear from Brian Murphy in public before Election Day? Unknown. So again, the way I handle my whistleblower cases is I still have a client who's employed by the federal government. And his agency, like every agency, has rules governing whether that employee is permitted to speak to the media without authorization. And I will request from DHS the granting of that authorization, and we'll see what they do in response. Again, I want to make sure that I never put my client in a posture where the agency has legitimate grounds to indicate uh, or rely on a violation of rules or regulations internal to the agency that they could use for disciplinary action. You know, could they lawfully prevent him from appearing on the media or testifying? No, only to the extent it might be classified. But they could fire him for doing so, and that's not what we want. He, he wants to continue working and serving the U.S. government and the Constitution. Well, Skullduggery is willing to test <laughs> that that case. But, he has you a know, standing you say, invitation. Yeah. But, you, Mark, you say he wants to continue doing his job, you know, and working for the government. What is it like? Has he been going into the office uh, since all of this happened? So far. Now, obviously, what this, we're, we're recording this on Thursday, September 8th, and the complaint only became public Oh my God, was it yesterday? It was, ye it was yesterday, yeah. Okay, well, only yesterday. And I imagine that's probably when, when they found, eh, it's possible they might've found out about it on Tuesday because I, copies I think were given to the, to the Hill on that time. But it's been a very short period of time. I, I will say at least this, to my knowledge, there hasn't been any indication of any uh, negative activity or comments by the government internally to him. So he's been going into work and he'll continue to go into work until he's told differently and he'll continue to, to do exactly what he's always done. I, I would say to you guys again on the invitation for Skullduggery to interview him, you should contact Public Affairs uh, in <laughs> DHS and ask to interview him. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> I, I'm sure that will get us a uh, a prompt positive uh, uh, green light to uh, to interview him. Well, there there is uh, or are rules and regs out there, laws that we have been using in certain cases that actually allow a whistleblower to talk to the media, even though the agency doesn't want them to. Uh, as long as it's not unclassified, that that is part of a protected disclosure. Now, there are steps that I need to take as the lawyer to set that up, and that is to talk to the agency, the, to the department in this case, and say, this is what we want to do. What is your position on it? Because again, I, I hey, uh, if they're going to say no, I want them to say no on the record. Well, as long as we don't have to pay you your, you know, your right. customary hefty legal fees... Go for it, Mark. <laughs> Set it up. Yeah. I will work on it. 
right. All right. Well, anyway, uh, and short of uh, uh, of your client, uh, we will have you back uh, as uh, more about this case uh, comes out, which I fully expect it will. Uh, Mark, thanks again for joining us. And as we say, we will definitely have you back. Gentlemen, it is always a pleasure and I look forward to it. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mark. It's a fascinating case.